You know, the, the spectrum of providing support to veterans is no longer uh, a secret cow for just few organizations. It is a collective approach that we have to take, and the committee can play a, lead, a leading role in that mission of uh, supporting our veterans. I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. This episode is the first part of the Veterans Village Housing Lab series, where we'll explore the various challenges and barriers that impact housing affordability for veterans that are transitioning back into civilian life and experiencing housing insecurity in Edmonton, Alberta. There are an estimated 617,800 veterans in Canada, which represents about 1.7% of the population. Yet, as of 2020 point-in-time counts, 7% of Albertans experiencing homelessness self-identify as having served in the Canadian military. The Veterans Village Housing Lab was initiated this summer to find innovative, affordable housing solutions that explore issues of health and wellness, affordable financing, and a communal living concept in housing amongst veterans in hopes of addressing this disparity. When people think of veterans, many immediately picture senior citizens who served in the First or Second World Wars. While many Canadians recognize these traditional veterans, the definition of who is and isn't a veteran can be complex, and it varies significantly across service provider organizations. In fact, some former Canadian Armed Forces members don't even see themselves as veterans due to social and cultural perceptions. The term veteran represents a great diversity of individuals who serve their communities and country, and the realities of housing insecurity are often very similar for those who have served in the Canadian Armed Forces, police, or other first responder organizations. Ultimately, the Veterans Village Housing Lab is working towards solutions that help all veterans in Edmonton transition into permanent housing and jobs that can be replicated to meet veterans' needs across Canada. Today, we'll begin to explore the complexity of the challenge at hand with André Thievierge of the City of Ottawa Veterans Task Force. André is a 30-year Canadian Armed Forces veteran who retired in 2013 and is a co-founder and co-chair of the Veterans Task Force in Ottawa, where he works to enhance the programs and services available to veterans and their families. My name is André Thievierge and I served for 30 years in the Canadian Armed Forces, uh, the background I gained through my service uh, is uh, mainly about uh, transition, as well as uh, quality of life, uh, the working place, and a bit about health promotion. So that's, uh, I would say, that's encompassed a great part of my 30-year career in the forces. Great. Thank you. Okay, so this, this lab that we're looking at in terms of providing unique solutions, housing solutions for veterans, um, you know, want to want to dive into that. But before we do understand the issue of housing. I'm wondering if you could provide some context on the experience of veterans transitioning back into civilian life, because I think that context is is really important. A part, a great part of my job is to kind of demystify the, the urban legion associated with military transitioning to a civilian life. Uh, the transitioning members refer to uh, the military member who was um, will initiating a transition to civilian life. It's not only the, um, the member, the military member, but this is also the, his family that uh, gets to drive that transition. And the image that uh, we try to convey uh, with uh, a realistic image, we want to convey that military members who are transitioning to civilian life, they are at their peak of their competence in terms of competency, in terms of energy, in terms of experience, they are really at their peak. And many of them, they leave the service with very good training 
many of them a lot of academic qualification and also uh, with a lot of soft skills as well. Soft mm. skills is uh, when you serve, you have you are given a little resources. You uh, you serve in a very life threatening environment. You have to make decision that uh, will depend the life of, of a lot of people, and you have little resources and little information to make a very quick decision. So when we talk about those soft skills, these are the skills that we want to tell employers: look, uh, folks. Those guys and those girls, when they are getting out of the service, they have those skills and they have those capability that they have developed throughout the service. Also, they want to continue to serve. So they bring a very unique aspect in terms of uh, leadership ability. They are capable of uh, forming a very efficient team. They are very well structured and they get people uh, really focused on the mission at the same time at focusing on their well-being. So these are the... Um, the, the reality is that uh, we have to inform people, we have to educate people about what a military member has to offer when you will apply to a civil mm. company or to go to the private sector. So uh, this is the image, and uh, this is what a part of my um, our job I've been doing in uh, developing partnership with different uh, companies, with really the influencers. So uh, it's a matter of developing partnership with key influencers in the community, particularly within the employer community, and kind of inform them about what uh, people who did some military service they can offer. Okay, great. And when we think about instances of, let's say, healthcare, and some of the challenges that military members may face when they're transitioning into civilian life, the, the fact that they were Moving provinces, as an example, the challenges that they may face because they're in a, in a province that they previously weren't in, you know, in civilian life and, and finding a, a physician, as an example. You know, can you maybe talk about some of those things, those transitions that we might take for granted for, for those of us that have lived a, a civilian life the, our, our full lives? So uh, I'm happy that you bring this question. So uh, the, just to put things in perspective, uh, when you serve in the Canadian Armed Forces on a full-time basis, you have all your medical service provided. So they are provided by the Canadian Armed Forces uh, medical services. For example, like person like me who served for 30 years, all of those healthcare have been provided. And I can say one thing is the healthcare that are being provided are a very outstanding quality mm. because they refer you very quickly to specialists. And why we get sometimes a shortcut, we see specialists more um, faster than um, uh, people, uh, our civilian counterparts. It is um, for operational uh, reason, because when we have a person who is unable to serve to be operational, we have to make it as quick as possible back um, to or an operational state. Uh, this way, this person meets the, uh, um, the all the criteria uh, because the criteria, the health criteria are very, um, are very uh, specific in the military and they are above what is expected for the civilian because mm. we serve in a different area. So all of this is provided. But when you release, when you put your release and you get out of the forces, well, party is over in a way mm -hmm. that you lose all those, uh, of those care. So you have to go back to the jungle of um, the um, uh, the Ontario services or the provincial services. Then uh, you get in the same situation that all Canadians, you have to get a family physician. And like uh, um, most of uh, military members who release, they are very healthy. But some of them, 
uh, they come, uh, they get out with a very complex uh, situation that requires immediate uh, health services, immediate uh, medical attention. And once, uh, when you haven't secured a family physician, you, 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 uh, you, there's a, con- there's a break of the continuum of the health services. Mm-hmm. And this is what can be problematic. And when in, in those situations like this, particularly people who has a combination of uh, mental and physical health issues, it, 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 uh, it, it can be very problematic and it leads to new symptoms and it needs to, um, or other um, issues. You develop new issues with um, your medical health. Uh, this is uh, why we are kind of, uh, developing partnership with the different corps of the medical community in order to sensitize the medical community about the needs of uh, veterans, but also that uh, about the urgent needs that uh, the, the consequence of uh, not having their uh, health services immediately addressed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks for that. It's, it's, it's really an interesting, you know, one of those things that unless you're forced to think about it, you, you, you just don't appreciate. And so the idea of, you know, entering that, you know, healthcare is an example, but I imagine all kinds of systems that are, are just, there's just a parallel system inside the military and, and to, to re-engage with those, uh, you know, at a later point in life, that's, it's really important, I think, to, to think about. And so when we th- so let's transition now to, to housing and how that's that potentially can apply uh, as well. So in your experience, you know, in your various roles, what are some of the, you know, the key barriers and challenges that you see veterans um, face in terms of accessing affordable housing as they transition back into to civilian life? The thing is, the, the military, they, they get out of the service with us, uh, with a different number of years service. But for example, you have a, a military member was was released for medical reasons and who had less than 10 years of service and he has to deal with multiple barriers in terms of health issues hmm. and what happened is uh, these p- people are more prone to experience homelessness because there are a number of uh, concurrent risk factors associated uh, to homelessness and a great part of that is um, our medical issues that are not being addressed, particularly mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Also, it could they could be financial issues. As we know, uh, the two D housing crisis before. Uh, the, uh, what is interesting? Uh, Fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, being homeless uh, were associated with a cohort of people with mental illness. illness. But now, what we see uh, among the homeless population are people who have jobs and can no longer pay the rent. They can no longer already have their credit code so low that uh, no landlord will uh, will take them. Homelessness has become, throughout the uh, housing crisis, more complex. We cannot put a stereotype of uh, of homelessness, uh, of the typical homeless person. But the thing is, um, there are no bull of concurrent barriers that will lead you going down of the roller coaster. And what mm-hmm. we saw is uh, those uh, barriers, they are accumulated of um, issues that came up uh, over the years. It's like a domino effect. The veterans, sometimes when they get out, they don't know the service that they have. And particularly many years ago, because uh, many years ago, the, the veterans didn't have, they didn't benefit so, uh, of, uh, from uh, a lot of services with regards to transition. Today is uh, totally different. And it's why we are seeing among the homeless population, people who are in their 40s and 60s, because at the time they get out of the forces and many of them got out after just a couple of years of service. So mm-hmm. they didn't know about the services, but also 
they didn't, they never asked for help as well. The thing is, in our culture, in the forces, we don't ask for help. We try to solve the problem ourselves. Okay. There are multiple reasons that can lead people to get to a homeless situation. Some, uh, uh, for a lot of people, this is a temporary homeless situation. And for the, for those, it becomes chronic. Uh, okay, so maybe you could talk to me about uh, the Veterans Task Force that you co-founded and you know, how, it, how it got started to support veterans in Ottawa. The first talk that we had about uh, creating a group at the municipal level was, uh, was five years ago. When I met uh, with Mathieu Lulaf, we just got elected as a city councillor and himself is a veteran. Mm. So uh, that served in Afghanistan. And then him and I, we, um, he knew about me that I had some background in transition. So we, we kind of connected. And after a number of talk, uh, we, de- we developed an approach. So basically, the, the question was what a municipality could do in order to participate in that collective project of helping our veterans. We established different priorities in which we can really maximize our influence, that we, we could really maximize our impact on or, or the overall community. And that's why we uh, came with uh, three priorities which are uh, second career, access to uh, rewarding employment, access to healthcare, and also access to affordable housing. These are those uh, three components. So the thing is, uh, that was a quite a paradigm shift among the um, veteran support ecosystem. Why? Because helping the veteran used to be a sacred cow, which you had only very limited number of organizations who provided uh, that uh, support services to veterans in transition. That was the Royal Canadian Legion, Veterans Affairs Canada, and now Military Families Services. But at that time, there were very specific people who were kind of recognized as being people who are competent. But what came with the paradigm shift, we say, we came with this, you know what? Our veterans, they live in the community. Their family, they live in the community. I think that the, the fact that we have these people in our committee, we can certainly participate to that kind of collective project of helping those people. And that's how the idea came up. So mm-hmm. ourselves, uh, what we do, we don't provide service uh, directly to veterans. What we do, we are like a catalyzer. We are using our contacts. Like the city of Ottawa, like any major city, we have tons of contact with the committee services, with the housing uh, industry, with uh, with the employers. Uh, so what we try to do is to get all of those organizations connecting with Veterans Affairs Canada, for example, for the instance mm-hmm. who provide services. We try to connect them with them in order to harmonize, for to harmonize the service. So this mm-hmm. way, the veteran doesn't have to, t- to tell 20 times the, the same story, which can be a very uh, frustrating venture. Also, we are we are kind of influencing the committee in a way that the the image that we try to convey to the committee is: look, the veteran is um, is a member is an integral member of the committee as well as his family, so the kids and their well, the, the spouse they participate to the community life, and these people are an asset to the community. They come with very specific experience in life. They have lived; many of them have lived in different countries. They have lived in different committees. So they will, um, and they, they are with all of their skills and their knowledge and uh, their experiential background, they come with a very unique experience. So the veteran task force, what we try to do is to influence the practice and to get influence, to get the different organization to a best practice approach. That's what we do. 
so far, we have been very successful with the medical community because we are linked now. We have established partnership with the different college of uh, family medicine. And uh, we have made links between the, the Kinesian Armed Forces, Health Services, and also the medical community. So we work very hard in establishing, uh, in kind of dispelling those myths associated with the uh, veteran as a patient. Is it fair to say then across your three priorities then, you, I love the word uh, catalyzer, would it be also accurate to say that you're a translator of sorts? So in connecting with other organizations that are in housing, healthcare, employment, that you're translating the experiences, the skills, the assets, the needs of veterans for those different providers that might not have a lot of depth of knowledge about those particular experiences or, or circumstances? Translator, yes, but it is beyond being a translator. Yeah. Translator, this is basically the phase one, one we, uh, once okay. we talk to a different organism, try to make them familiar with uh, the military jargon and also the military culture. So the big, sometimes the, uh, what the, one of the greatest barrier is the lack of knowledge about the, the culture, the military culture. But mm. the thing is, when we look at the other way around, it is uh, the same thing for uh, the transitioning members. For example, they ask no, the, the private business culture as well. So uh, because the, the, the transitioning member, he comes with his own bias about that and how we can sure. get the community talking to each other. So in the way that we are translator, but the second part that can be more interesting, John, mm-hmm. is, okay, let's brainstorm and what we can do together. Okay. Mm-hmm. This way, new projects are being created, uh, new initiative, uh, new joint initiative are being created. And this way, we are looking at this after, um, in the perspective of uh, knowledge sharing, because um, each of us has our different amount of expertise, and we share with them their knowledge about uh, the transition aspect, what it entails, the transition, and they share their knowledge about what they've learned about the, the, the psychosocial aspect, for example. So this is a knowledge sharing, and that brings to uh, sometimes the creation of joint project. We are developing uh, what we call a transition knowledge hub. So what it is a what it mm. is a transition knowledge knowledge hub? It is a virtual library that will be available to um, all the research uh, institutes, all the university, and all or all over the world. Uh, the thing okay. is, uh, now we have a framework called the Seven Domains of Wellbeing that kind of uh, guide us in a way that we provide transition service to people, and it is um, a framework that is evidence based. And now what we want to do, since we know that transition is now a science, we want to uh, develop to have a leverage tool in order to have people from different countries, people from different backgrounds to share their knowledge with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that we are looking at is to have an international conference on transition where we will bring our partners. So we are going to we will be using it as a tribune to um, have partnership developed, to have joint initiative developed. So this is an initiative that is being developed with the Canadian Forces Transition Group, and I will be playing a role in uh, putting this uh, project together. Can you uh, speak to b- about any uh, particular partnerships or joint initiatives that you have in the housing sector that uh, are, are happening, you know, connected to your, your task force? With regards to housing, um, uh, we have um, a partnership with the Veterans House. The Veterans House is a building, an organization who has 40 veterans. So with mm-hmm. the are single and some of them have been in a chronic homeless situation. So they leave them for as long as they want. So we call it the Veterans House because this place is uniquely 
veterans and the veteran mm-hmm. they, they um they kind of develop their own lifestyle like for example they they have a gym and they do gardening and uh i saw the gardening they do they are very very skilled they are really <laughs> But um, uh, what is amazing about that is um, this Veterans House project is based on the literature, is based on the construct that we call the Housing First. Housing First is a recovery-oriented approach to ending homelessness that centers on quickly moving people experiencing homelessness into independent and permanent housing, followed by providing additional supports and services as needed. The basic underlying principle of Housing First is that people are better able to recover and move forward with their lives if they have a roof over their heads. This is as true for people experiencing homelessness, with those with mental health and addiction issues, or veterans, as it is for anyone. Housing First is about two different uh, important components. Number one is to ensure that the housing would be permanent. Uh, that will not be temporary. So this person is here. He won't go to the stress of looking at housing, uh, for example, after two years. And number mm-hmm. two, uh, what we have, each veteran, if they want, there will be a tailor-made program in order to address his barriers. So we will have access to counseling services. If we talk about addiction, that this person can go to addiction therapy. Uh, there will be some financial um, management counseling. So you do a, like an individualized intervention plan in order to address each of the barriers, and that person will evolve. And uh, that plan is um, developed also by the patient as well. So it's not only the counselor, mm-hmm. but it is a very interactive process okay. in which the patient will take not only accountability, but ownership of that plan in order to, based on set up objective to, uh, to, uh, to achieve. So uh, this is what we call the housing first. So we try to address the wise these people will end up in a homelessness in a homeless situation. So before we we wrap up, uh, any other thoughts or messages that uh, we haven't covered in terms of how how people might uh, understand the the housing challenges and opportunities that the veterans face? Homelessness can be prevented, and now we have uh, more and more programs within the the Kansan Armed Forces where people transition where they can look at the different risk factors. It's a tough topic because uh, the, the thing is, we have to solve the housing crisis that happened. We have to uh, to solve the uh, increase of uh, rental fees. We have to make it more friendly. And with regards to housing, one of the things that we have considered uh, that could be a potential solution, as we uh, went through the uh, COVID crisis, more and more people are now working home. So the fact that they were working home, it means that there are buildings that are available, there are infrastructure that's available. One solution that could be in order to deal with the housing crisis is to try to transform the buildings that are not being taken, that no no longer be need, and they can transform it to social housing. And this way they can use their housing Mm -hmm. first model in order to uh, provide people with the necessary resource to deal with their barriers. Uh, That model of uh, housing first, what they found out is uh, they get less call from uh, the police department. There are less people that are showing up at the emergency room. So there are tangible results. Looking at the the, uh, available infrastructures, probably the cities should uh, kind of involve how can we get those infrastructure and how can we transform them to social housing and how could we create uh, a structure for the the person in a homeless situation to deal with uh, his or her barriers. You know, the, the spectrum of providing support to veterans is no longer uh, a secret cow for just few organizations. It is a collective approach that we have to take, and the community can play a, lead, a leading role in that mission of uh, supporting our veterans. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. 
Okay, thanks so much for that. Uh, okay, so before I let you go, I have one last question that we ask everybody that joins us. What's uh, can you share a uh, a city that you love and why that you love it? I love Ottawa, and because Ottawa has um, a lot of open-minded people. Although we had some challenge, but it has been uh, we found a lot of people from the different sectors, from the different pillars who have been very open and there's uh, so many opportunities that where we we are in Ottawa. Each uh, committee has their their own challenges. As committee have their own culture with regards to supporting the veterans. Each culture have their own industry and uh, their own economical challenge. So, uh definitely I'm uh, I'm very open to share uh, our initiative with other cities. The Veterans Village Solutions Lab is funded by the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation offering organizations with funding and expertise to help them solve complex housing problems and explore new ways of making progress on a housing challenge. These labs fuel bottom-up collaborative innovation by bringing diverse groups of people together to solve complex housing problems to help inform decision-making at all levels. This lab was initiated by our friends at Green Violin, a community development company that delivers sustainable housing solutions in Edmonton and our team here at Intelligent Futures. Throughout the lab process, we're working to build knowledge, relationships, and solutions with community members to expand the understanding of the lived experience of veterans experiencing housing insecurity. Over the next four months, we're conducting user interviews and community engagement sessions to understand the community's perspective on emerging solutions. If you're interested in participating or learning more about this work to support housing security with Canadian veterans, please reach out to my teammate Cassandra by email at Cassandra. C-A-S-S-A-N-D-R-A at intelligentfutures.ca. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.